Hi, Rabbi Schaefer here, and I'm very excited to tell you about the new Schmooze book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. Over the past 15 years or so, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples, and I can't tell you the amount of times I look and say, why are you doing this? Do you understand what the relationship needs? Do you understand what your spouse is thinking? I put together this book to detail some of the really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, and the book has been extremely well received. We sent out about a thousand pre-publication copies to Chassan and college teachers, to marriage therapists, and the reviews have been really, really very heartening. If you'd like to get a copy, it's available on Amazon, it's available in your local bookstores, it's also available on theschmooze.com. If you purchase it on theschmooze.com, in addition to the hardcover book, you'll also get the audiobook as well as the ebook as a free bonus. If you'd like to do that, please go to theschmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll greatly benefit from it. Thank you. I do want to mention there are hespedim this evening uh, for Rav Chaim Zatzal, uh, and it would be, I'd be amiss not to at least mention, and I hope you even meant to mention a story this evening. And, uh, you know, it sounds sounds humorous to say that our learning should be a schus nishmas because the man was a giant of of just proportions that, that are hard to imagine. It's like an ant saying, "Let my actions benefit the mountain." You know, it's it's. But I guess it's done. You know, it's uh, it's done. I guess so. Uh, so we'll say our, the, the shir should be le'ili nishmas chaims itself. But uh, again, it's uh, I, I have uh, it, it almost feels. It almost feels disparaging. In other words, again, the the difference in in size, the, the enormity of a gadolador. Uh, but okay, listen, <clears throat> we do what we're supposed to, and therefore, uh, fine, we'll we'll say it. It's shiul uh, nishmas, and certainly has spayed them. And and hearing stories is a great. Uh, that's for us to to recognize, for us to recognize what we lost personally, what we lo- lost as a generation. And to gain from uh, who he was and to gain inspiration, I, I can't tell you, my wife keeps showing me videos. Every time she sees a video of Rav Haim, he's a malach look, 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 just look how he walks, look how he's walking. And you could see, he, he, he certainly was uh, a malach So uh So the class, so we have lost a great, great leader. We have lost a great Torah sage. And, uh, and, and such losses are... There are no no one to fill those shoes. Our job is to do the best we can to learn from him, to take from him, and to maybe even <clears throat> to take on more learning, more smother, because that certainly was his uh, that certainly was his hallmark. <clears throat> so it could be that that would be a schus certainly for us, maybe for him. But, uh, but in any case, um, two more announcements in case you're not getting the uh, WhatsApp group. If you're not getting the Shmooz WhatsApp group. So we have three, four times a week, we send out these short inspirational videos uh, if you'd like to get them. And also the repeats, replay on the Derech Hashem share, the replay on the Shmooz Live. If you'd like to go them, go to the Shmooz.com. And on the top, you'll see a banner and it's uh, subscribe. You click on it and it'll put you onto the Shmooz WhatsApp Chizik group. You can just click on it and you'll be put on it. Uh, and again, you'll be able to purchase the book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes, the very smart couples make. That's right under the two banners right there on the home page. You just have to remember it's spelled funny, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z dot com. And again, if you have questions, please feel free to type them in into the Q&A. Again, I, I'll only use the Q&A. So, um, yes, I, and I do apologize. Yesterday there was no Derech Hashem Shir. I, I was sort of toss, tossing and turning. I, I wasn't feeling well. And I was hoping that I'd be able to pull it off, but as we got closer to 6 o'clock, I saw I, I, I ain't going to make it. So, unfortunately, there was no Derech Hashem Shir. I apologize. I did put it up on my status. I didn't. I neglected to send it out in the WhatsApp groups. I do apologize if you were there. I wasn't. I apologize. I, did, um, I didn't take it lightly, but unfortunately, it just wasn't to be. And you may hear already my voice is still um, just barely holding on, barely hanging in there. So I hope... I hope not to scream this evening. I hope to be to moderate the volume, so we don't have any problem there. But um, okay. So again, feel, please feel free though to type in questions to the Q and A. 
uh, either during or after, and certainly after we'll take questions with a raised hand. You'll be able to raise your hand and ask questions live, or type them in. Okay. This parsha, one of the psukim says, Zos Achaya. The Torah is giving us, delineating the various macholos asuros, the various forbidden foods, and the Torah says, Dabru Abnei Yisrael, Hashem says to Moshe, speak to Abnei Yisrael, Lamor, Zosa Chaya Shatochlu, this is the Chaya, this is the animal that you should eat, Mikola Behem it's from all animals on the land, and then the Torah goes on to describe exactly which are the Simonim, Mephresis Parsa, Split Hoof, Choose the Cud, etc., etc. Rashi observes that there's an extra hay in Zos HaChaya. It should be Zos Chaya, what is Zos HaChaya? And Rashi says this teaches us a yesod. And that yesod is that Hashem gave the mitzvah of eating kosher food and not eating tray food to Bnei Yisrael for a particular reason. He says, because you, the Jewish people, are Roy L'chaim. You're going to live on forever. You're going to be Bnei Olam Haba. You're going to live in this world and you're going to live in the world to come. And therefore, Hashem says, these are the foods you should eat and other foods you should not eat. Do not eat a chazir. Do not eat dar neves. And do not eat those animals. Why? Because you are slated to live for eternity, and therefore you shouldn't eat these foods. And then Rashi brings the Medrash Tanchuma with a mushal. Mushal to a doctor. A doctor goes to one person who's sick, and he says to the sick person, you shouldn't eat this, you should eat this. Very, very particular diet explains him exactly when to eat, how to eat, what to eat. And the doctor then visits the second patient, and the doctor says, eat whatever you want, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Someone following the doctor says, Doctor, I First guy, you tell me, eat this, don't eat that, do this, such a specific diet. And the second guy, uh, eat whatever you want. And the doctor says, don't you understand? And the first guy was going to live. His diet is very, has to be very particular because that will give him the nutrients he needs, <coughs> energy he needs to, to flourish. The second fellow isn't going to make it. He's not going to make it anyway, so therefore, why should I trouble him? Let him eat what he wants. He explains Rashi, that's why the mitzvahs were given to the Kaisrol. We were told not to eat tray food because we're B'nai Olam Haba. We're going to be in this world and the world to come. The Goyim can eat whatever they want. They're not B'nai Olam Haba. They were created for this world and not for the world to come. Therefore, Hashem says, Jewish people, you eat this. Don't eat that. The Goyim, it doesn't matter. And that's how Rashi brings the Medrash Tanchuma, explaining Machalas Asura's forbidden foods. Now, if you think about this Rashi, I believe it's very difficult to understand. Why? Because eating particular foods has a very direct, real impact on the body. When the doctor says to the healthy man, eat this food because you need it. These are the nutrients you need. If you're going to eat unwholesome foods, your body's going to become weaker and lose vitality. If you eat healthful foods, you're going to regain strength. That makes sense. But what does that have to do with forbidden foods? Not eating treif is a chok. It's a law without a reason, much like we don't wear shatnas, we don't eat chametz on Pesach, these are chukim, meaning nutrients are things that make sense. You eat this food, it benefits your body, eat this food, it has a deleterious effect. What does that have to do with machalas asuras? What does Rashi mean with the mushal? The doctor was telling him, eat this food and not eat that food, because the food is good for the body or bad for the body, and what does that have to do with eating tray food or not tray food because we're B'nai Olam Haba, because we have a Neshama that's going to live on forever? And to answer this, Rashi, I'd like to focus on exactly this concept, the impact of tray food, what it does to the person, and a deeper understanding of many, many of the mitzvahs in the Torah. Now let's begin with an interesting Pasuk. Avram Avinu lifts up his eyes, and on the horizon he sees three wayfarers, three Arabs. He rushes out to greet them, Please do not pass by your master. He ushers him in, prepares a lavish meal. But the psukim are very clear what he prepared for them. He took butter and milk. And the calf that he made. He served them tongue and milk. Tongue with butter. He served them basabachalov. Now, if we don't note that that's rather unusual, that conversation was brought up many years later. When Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to receive the Torah, the Malachim said, absolutely not. They tried to stop it. Why? Because the Torah is the energy source of all of creation. When the Before Matan Torah, the Malachim were the ones who were learning Torah. They were the ones who were keeping up the energy source of creation. 
if the Torah is going to be given to man, if man learns, fine and well, but if he doesn't, forget about it. And therefore the Malachim refused, they would not allow Moshe Menu up. Hashem said to Moshe, give him an answer. Tell him why they have to allow you to up. Tell him why we have, they have to allow you to receive the Torah. Moshe Menu says, didn't three of you eat Basabachalov by Avram Dinu? And didn't three of you Malachim eat meat and milk together when Avram served it? Miyad Hodu, immediately they admitted, immediately the Malachim said, fine, the Torah is for you. Now, this medrash is very, very difficult to understand. Why? Because, number one, I don't know that it's usur for a Malach treif. I never saw a Pasuk in the Torah saying a Malach any treif. But number two, it was three Malachim some 400 years earlier. Even let's grant that it's forbidden for a Malach to eat treif food. And the food that they ate was 400 years earlier, and it was three Malachim. But even more than that, if you're telling me violating a precept of the Torah is reason why you shouldn't receive the Torah, I dare say more than three men probably have eaten treif since the receiving of the Torah some 2,000 odd years ago. So here's the question. Why did the Malachim immediately admit, miyad hodu, as soon as Moshe Rabbeinu said, didn't three of you eat possible chalav back then? Immediately they admit, yes, the Torah is for you, take the Torah. Very, very difficult to understand this medrash. And to understand this medrash, I think what we need to understand is the basis of the human being, the human condition, and who we really are. And to understand who the human being is, I'd like to share with you one observation. A cat is simple. A cow is simple. A horse is simple. Hashem gave a nature to the cat, and if you understand the behavior of a cat, you will be able to predict what it will do, and when it will do it, and why it will do it, time after time after time. If you know the nature of a cow, you can know very well what it's going to do, when, how, and why. So to a horse, so to orangutan, so to any of the animals in creation. Man, however, is not so simple. You can know the essence of a human being. And you can even know the individual, and for the life of you, you will not be able to predict what he or she is going to do in any given situation. And if you're not sure that I'm right, I'll share with you one observation. Have you ever been in a situation when you reacted to something and you almost couldn't believe the words that were coming out of your mouth? Or maybe you started feeling something and, and you were overwhelmed by the feeling, like, well, what was I, possessed? We human beings seem to have this ability to be a living, walking contradiction. Catch me in the right mood, I could be the nicest, sweetest, most considerate guy on the planet. Catch me in the wrong mood or the wrong words in the wrong way at the wrong time, and blammo, I could lash out and say words that are very, very ugly. But here's the point. It's the same I. I'm not a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I didn't suddenly take drugs and suddenly get a transformation. The same I can be the sweetest, nicest guy. The same I can be a callous creep. And if you've ever watched a person lose their temper, you see they act so differently. It's almost like they're possessed. Almost like they're a different human being. Almost like you don't recognize them. And if that doesn't trouble you, let me share with you one more observation. How about when we daven? And I'm embarrassed to say these words, but it happens to me on a regular basis. I could be standing there talking to Hashem right here, and a moment later my brain's gone, and where am I? Who am I? where, Where am I? What happens? Where? What's pshat? So if you'd like to fundamentally understand the human, and the Chavaz Avavaz explains to us human nature. Chavaz Avavaz explains that when Hashem created man, Hashem took two diverse elements, two complete opposites, and put them together to make this entity called man. With Imi is a nefesh asichli, a brilliant, intelligent part. With Imi is a nefesh abahami, an animal soul, both are parts of me, both are there. And Nevesh only wants to do what's right, what's good, what's proper. It's a part that comes from under Hashem's throne of glory. I, it was put into I, and I am speaking to you and comprised full 50% of me as a Nevesh a brilliant, clear-headed, good-giving person. But that part was mixed in with the Nevesh Bahami. Nevesh Bahami is an animal soul. An animal soul has all of the instincts, all of the desires of any animal in the animal kingdom. 
these two parts are in constant war, constant battle for primacy. One or the other wins out. They're always battling, and either Nefesh Bahami becomes stronger, or the Nefesh Sikhli. These two are constantly fighting for control, and much like a muscle with use, it becomes stronger with disuse and atrophies. And the more you use the Nefesh Sikhli, the stronger it becomes, the more dominant it becomes. The more you give in to Nefesh Bahami, the more dominant it becomes, the more primary it becomes. But there's a constant flux, a constant battle. And if you would like to understand I, you, human being, what you really need to do is understand both components. And let's begin with the Nefesh Bahami. If you go into the animal kingdom, every single animal in creation has a Nefesh. It's a vibrant, live part. Into that Nefesh, Hashem implanted all of the drives, aspirations, inclinations needed to keep that species alive and to bring forth the next generation. All of the desires and all the instincts everything that it needs to stay alive, as well as have offspring, was put into that animal. I remember as a high school Rebbe, there was one fellow who came to yeshiva. When he was a little fellow, his father bought him a puppy, and the puppy and the boy grew up together. When this fellow came for ninth grade to yeshiva, he left home, and apparently the separation was very hard on his dog, and for the dog it was a tremendous, tremendous bereavement. And when this fellow would come home, he had a little little bit of a problem. His dog, now fully grown, who hadn't seen his master in a few months, would get so excited, he'd rush over to his master, and in his excitement would relieve himself all over his master's pants leg. He was very happy to see his dog, but not so happy with that result. But this is the point. There's a vibrant, live part within the dog. It's a nefesh Bahami, imprinted with all of the instincts, <clears throat> all of the desires, <clears throat> all of the needs to keep it alive. You would almost say it has a personality, not quite, but it certainly is alive, and certainly vibrant, and certainly is imprinted with everything needed to keep it alive. The robin hungers for the worm. The cat hungers for the mouse. Not only was the cat given the claws, the fangs, and to be able to pounce on the mouse and eat it, it was given the instinct, the hunger, the desire. The robin doesn't say, based on the general availability as well as the nutritional value, I think I'll use the earthworm as my food staple. It hungers for the worm. All of the instincts and all the desires needed to keep the animal alive, Hashem put into the animal species. There's an interesting article in National Geographic a number of years back about Siberian tigers. Apparently, there were some biologists who were in the woods and the mother tiger had died and a few Siberian tiger cubs were left orphaned. The biologists took them into the lab and brought them up on bottled milk. And as the cubs began growing and growing, the biologists realized they had a problem. They could no longer care for these cubs because they were quite dangerous. On the other hand, there was no mother tiger around to teach these cubs how to hunt. Having no alternative, the biologists just let them into the wild and they watched very carefully. As soon as these cubs, now somewhat grown, were left into the wild, and they immediately knew to stalk the deer. And they immediately knew how to stay low. They immediately knew how to pounce. They knew which organs to eat first. Imprinted into the animal soul of the animal are all of the instincts and desires to keep it alive. Sometimes it has very, very interesting ramifications. The emperor penguin is one such example. In the South Arctic, it is very, very cold. And the sequence of laying the egg and incubating the egg is rather, rather intriguing. You see, the mother will lay quite a large egg, and then she'll waddle over to the male. The male puts his feet together, the female kind of waddles and deposits the egg onto the male's feet, which are standing together. The male has a little pouch with which he covers the egg, and the male stands there, keeping the egg warm. The mother then will go a few hundred miles to find the opening in the ice. She'll then dive in and spend a number of weeks feeding to build up her fat stores. <clears throat> She'll come back, and when she comes back, about the time when the baby hatches, she has milk ready to feed the baby. But here's the interesting part. The male will stand there in negative 40 degrees, howling winds for week after week, month after month, without moving, effectively starving himself to death, to lose up to 25% of his body weight standing there keeping the egg warm 
If the egg touches the ice, it cracks, it'll never be no next generation. He stands there waiting for the female. Somehow the female knows exactly who the male is. There'll be huddles of thousands upon thousands of these emperor penguins. The mother somehow finds the male, comes back, feeds the baby. Who taught you to do that? Imprinted into the Nefesh Bahami are all of the instincts, all of the desire to keep itself alive. That is the Nefesh Bahami in the human being. And that Nefesh Bahami has been put into man as well. Within me there is a full half of me, 50% of me, that is base drives, desires, hungers, and appetites. I'm hungry, I desire, I have various, various instincts and needs, and within me is this Nefesh Bahami. But it's very important to understand that this Nefesh Bahami has no intelligence. It's drives, appetites, hungers. Now it can utilize the brain, but it can utilize the brain. It is a hunger. It is an appetite. It is the desire that might hijack my brain. But again, it's a Nefesh with imprinted with desires and etc. On the other hand, I have another half of me. That other half of me has been imprinted with only desires to do that which is good, right, and proper. And the I who am speaking to him comprised of both. If you'd like to understand why it is that I could act in such diverse manners, it's because when my nefesh sikhli is operating, I'm good, I'm kindly, I'm generous. When my nefesh bahami takes over, all I know is my instincts, my needs. The greatness of the human is the ability to choose which voice to listen to, and which voice to allow to become primary, and you either grow or you shrink, but change you must, either becoming greater or becoming more animal-like, but that is life. And if you'd like to see the Nevesh Bahami up front and personal, I'll share with you a very interesting example. My wife is one of the sharpest people I know, and when she had her first child, by now quite a number of years ago, she went on the SIT diet. Now, I don't know if you know, you're familiar with this diet, but the SIT diet is, consists of the following. You take a wedge of chocolate cake in this hand, a Diet Coke in this hand, you consume the entire wedge of chocolate cake, drink the Diet Coke, and you say the words, I'm so fat, I'm so fat, I'm so fat. It's a SIT diet, self-inflicted torture diet. Now, at a certain point, I said to my wife, listen, if you want to be skinny, I'm okay with that. You want to be heavy, I'm okay with that. But the self-inflicted torture stuff, this is nishkan. This is not a mahalach. Okay. I talked, I talked. I wasn't going anywhere. So I said, fine. I decided to take my wife to Weight Watchers. Now, you have to understand, this was many years ago. I was in Kolal at the time. And I showed up to a midday. I had a break during lunch, midday. And I showed up to midday Weight Watchers meeting, and again, this is by now over 30 years ago, and I found myself in this room of women, and this scene was quite memorable. The leader gets up and says, okay, ladies, what happened this week? And one woman says, well, I was doing really well, and then someone brought out chocolate cake. Oh, chocolate cake, I hear the moans. Another woman says, I was doing great, and then someone brought donuts to her. Oh, donuts, the moans go out. Someone says, Oreo cook, Oreo cook. I watched these women losing it in front of my eyes. And I wanted to ask the following question. I don't get it. What is so difficult? You have a diet, a certain amount of calories. No one goes hungry. A planned meal. You have your meals planned out, your snacks planned out. No one goes hungry. Why don't you just stick to the diet? And the answer is really quite simple. I make up a firm decision. I will not touch chocolate cake the next two months until the chocolate cake comes in front of me. And then that voice in my head says... I made up, I will not touch it, and I will not. And then the other voice says, mm, No, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Ah! What's pshat? Pshat is there are two voices within me, and two very distinct parts of me. A nefesh sikhli that's brilliant and understanding and recognizes that this is damaging to my health and I don't want it. And there's a nefesh bahami that says, uh, 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 uh. I want it. And those two voices are fighting for primacy in every area of your life, and all day long they're in flux. And here's the big question. What in the world do we need this for? Why would Hashem put a Nefesh Bahami into man? I understand the behemoth needs a Nefesh Bahami. Elsie the cow needs that because that's all that's keeping Elsie the cow alive. What do we need it for? Why did Hashem just create us with a seichel, with an intellect, an neshama, 
and put us into this body and say, grow, accomplish, do what you're supposed to do on the planet. Who needs this Nefesh Bahami? And the answer to this is based on understanding a very fundamental principle. And to explain to you what that is, let me ask you a question. Does a Malach have Bechira? Does an angel have free will? Now, since you're in Cheder, you know the rule is, a Malach does not have free will, right? People have free will, Malachim don't have free will. However, if you've attended the Derech Hashem Shir, you know that that's patently false. A Malach has free will just as a human being has free will. And the distinction between I and a Malach has nothing to do with free will. It has to do with practical versus theoretical free will. And let me explain to you what I mean. Do you have free will to put your hand in a fire? Let's say I had to pull out a crisp $100 bill and say, this $100 bill is yours if you put your hand in a fire for a minute. Do you have free will to do it? The answer is, of course you have free will. But the answer, of course, is, but you're not going to do it. Why? Because it's stupid. And I was a high school rabbi for many years, and I would tell the guys, would you do it? The answer is, well, rabbi, what about 15 seconds for $25? The answer is, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it for any amount of money because it's absurd. It's self-inflicted damage. You would never do it for a 1000 or for $10,000 because it's utterly dumb. I don't drink bleach. I don't put my hand in fire. Why? Because I recognize the damage, and it's not something I'm going to do. Do I have free will? To, in theory, I do, but I sure am not going to do it. And that is the type of free will that Malachim have. They see the ramifications with such clarity. They recognize that every mitzvah that Hashem gave them is for their benefit and the benefit of the world at large. Every Aveir Hashem warned against damages them and damages the world at large. Do they have free will to violate Hashem's will? They do, but it would be akin to my putting my hand in a fire. They never would do it because it's utterly foolish. To give free will to man, what Hashem did was give us not theoretical free will, practical free will. Practical free will means it has to be a real challenge. It has to be just as easy for me to go this way, and just as easy for me to go that way, and I'm smack in the middle, and I am the one who's forced to choose. But to do that, you have to obscure man's thinking, you have to blind him, you have to make him drunk. And the way Hashem did that was put this brilliant neshama, and brilliant nefesh sickly, mix it in with a nefesh bahami, and suddenly I'm confused, I'm dazed, I'm sometimes I'm alert, sometimes I'm not, sometimes I want, sometimes I don't. I am a mixed up, changing, effervescent, strange, complex human being. Good morning, America, that is the sign of life. And the reason why Hashem gave us a Nefesh Bahami is because now the choices are real. Now I really am tempted to do what's right, and I'm really tempted to do what's wrong. I really want to grow and reach for the heights, and I really couldn't care less. I want to talk to Hashem, directly speaking to Hashem, connecting to my Creator, and I couldn't care less. I desperately want to help other people, and there's a voice within me that says, what do I care about anybody but me? And that conflict is the essence of the human being, and that conflict is why we were put here, and that's your Nefesh sickly versus your Nefesh Bahami, and that's exactly what's going on in the human being. And when you understand that, you can begin understanding many, many of the mitzvahs. Chazal tell us that treif food is metamtem leva adam, deadens man's heart. And what does it mean, it deadens man's heart? When you eat treif food, you can't daven the same way, you can't feel Hashem's presence the same way, you don't feel Shabbos the same way. Why? And because the Chovaz of Ovaz explains to us that it gives an inordinate strengthening to the Nefesh Bahami. Hashem warned us about many foods because what they do is they strengthen the Nefesh Bahami to a great extent. As a matter of fact, the Chovaz of Ovaz explains to us many, many mitzvahs in the Torah are for exactly that reason. Shotness. Wool, great. Linen, great. Mix them together, boom, you got shotness. What's the matter? A wolf coat is fine. A linen coat is fine. Mix them together, you're over shotness. Meat, kosher, great, fine. Milk, kosher, great, fine. Cook them together, boom, you have bust of Why? That mixture has an inordinate strengthening of the Nefesh Bahami. It gives a power to it. It gives strength to it. It takes a scientist of the soul to recognize how it works. That's why Chazal call them chukim. They're a chok because you have to really understand in a very, very deep level that most of us are not going to how it impacts the Nefesh Bahami. But it's not a chok in what it does. What it does is it strengthens the Nefesh Bahami, gives power to it. For instance, Arachayim explains we don't eat predators. Any kosher animal is not a predator. Why? Because a predatory animal, when you eat that animal, you're ingesting some of that nature within you. 
and you're going to become more aggressive, and you're going to become more of that type of behavior. Because what you eat greatly influences who you are. The Torah warns us against certain foods, and because it strengthens the Nefesh Bahami to an extent much greater, many Yisurim in the Torah, the Yisur of Nida, Yisur of Shatnez, are all because exactly that, it strengthens Nefesh Bahami to an incredibly strong impact. And that's exactly the answer for Malachim. When Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to receive the Torah, Malachim said, no, no, you can't receive the Torah. Shem said, give them an answer. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, didn't three of you eat Basa B'chalav? How could you do that? A Malach sees with absolute clarity what's damaging to it, and it never would do something damaging. Why did those three Malachim eat meat and milk together? Because it doesn't damage a Malach. A Malach doesn't have a Nefesh Bahami to become strengthened by meat and milk to cook together. And that's why you ate it, says Moshe Beno. Don't you see? And the Torah is given to man. So many of the mitzvahs are specifically written to man. Man who has a Nefesh Bahami is warned not to do this, do this, don't do that, because these things strengthen your Nefesh Bahami, and these things weaken it. Says Moshe Beno to the Malachim, you ate it. Why? Because you didn't see the damaging? Because it's not damaging to you, because the Torah was not written for you. Miyad Hodu, immediately they agreed. And in fact, I believe that's exactly what Rashi is saying to us. A Jew and a guy have different missions on the planet. A Jew has been put here to use a few years here to grow and accomplish and to be a Ben Olam Haba. And therefore Hashem warns us against very particular foods. Why? Because they give an inordinate strengthening to Nefesh Bahami. Hashem says, don't do it. Don't eat the Chazir. Don't eat their Nevis. Why? Because it's going to make it difficult for you to daven, difficult for you to learn. The guy, okay, there are guy who gain the world to come, but the typical guy doesn't, and therefore it's not no gay. Eat what you want. As the doctor who says to the fellow who's going to live, eat this and don't eat this, the fellow who knows is going to die, it doesn't matter. Hashem warned the Jewish people, eat this and don't eat this, because you are B'nai Olam Haba, you're going to be in the world to come. And if you'd like to understand this concept, you have to understand exactly the mitzvahs of the Torah. If you want to see this in very real terms, I'll show you one example I think is very, very telling. Watch what happens on Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, we are commanded not to eat, not to drink the entire day. Now, isn't that curious? Yom Kippur might be called the most important day of the year. Certainly the holiest day. It's a Yom Slichu Mechila. It's a day you can access Hashem, a day you can get closer to Hashem. Certainly a day you can do tshuva. Wouldn't it make sense to eat a big breakfast, come into shul with energy and strength? Let's go, i got to daven, i got to do tshuva. Why does the Torah tell us not to eat food? So if you'd like to understand the human, just watch what happens. Kol Nidre, you're full, you're davening, you're paying attention. But when you come in Shachris, and then the day starts lingering on, maybe 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, you're feeling weak. You're feeling weak, and suddenly there's a clarity of your vision, a clarity of your thinking. When your body becomes weaker, and it's not given the sustenance it needs, the Nefesh Bahami becomes weaker, has less of an influence, and my Nefesh sickly, my Neshama is able to come to the fore. And you're able to recognize things on Yom Kippur as the day wears on that you couldn't recognize the day before. What I did wrong, what I want to do for the future. You're able to see things with greater clarity. Why? Because the body becomes weaker. And as the body becomes weaker, Nevesh sickly becomes stronger and you're able to understand things to a much greater extent. And that is exactly the challenge of being a human being. I think what this Rashi is sharing with us is a tremendous, tremendous concept. The reason why the Jewish nation were given so many mitzvahs is because we were created for eternity. These foods damage you. It's going to make it very hard for you to reach ruchnias. It's going to be very hard for you to feel aspirations of greatness. It's going to make it hard to daven, hard to feel Shabbos. Don't eat these foods. The guy doesn't have that mission. It's true, a guy can have a portion of the world to come. It's true if he keeps mitzvah, but it's a tuffle. It's certainly subservient to what a Jew is. He was created for this world. And with nowhere near the potential world to come, eat what you want, it doesn't matter. But the Jewish people are different. When the Malachim came to Moshe Rabbeinu, they wanted to stop Moshe from getting the Torah, Moshe said, uh-uh, didn't three of you eat tray food? Why did you do that? A Malach has absolute clarity of vision. How could you have done that? And the answer is, all of these mitzvahs are warnings because they strengthen the Nefesh of Bahami. With Imi is an animal soul, much like the emperor penguin, much like the bear, much like the robin, there's all of the instincts were put into me, but within me is also a brilliant neshama. These two are fighting for primacy, constantly battling who's in charge. And certain activities strengthen the Nefesh Bahami, 
and the Torah warns us against them, including in that certain foods, shatnas, nida, various things, because they give an inordinate strengthening to the Nefesh Bahami. And one more step. The single greatest nutrient for the Neshama, and probably the only pure nutrient for the Neshama, is Limit Torah. Do you ever notice there's such a centrality in our religion about learning? Why is learning so important? Okay, I get it, you have to know what to do, but what, 24-7? Why is Rav Chaim learned and learned and learned, and he learned Kola Torah Kula every year, every year. Bavli, Yerushalmi, Mishabura, Rambam, Sifra, Sifri, Tosa, every he learned it already a couple of times, as in every year, for year after year. What do you, so, what, enough, what do you, you know what to do already, what do you need it for? And the answer is that the single greatest nourishment for the neshama is limerah Torah. Learning Torah is super power for the, it's rocket fuel for the soul. It empowers me, it gives me strength in that balance, in that fight between Nefesh Sikhli and Nefesh Bahami. It gives a tremendous boost to the neshama, and it's the only pure food, the only pure nourishment, and that's why it is so important. And when we lose a person like Rav Chaim, the Sarah Torah, we have to understand who he was, and what we lost as a generation, what he accomplished, and you have to listen to the stories and hear, hear the events because you'll see a man dedicated to Torah. And I want to mention something that's a very small story, and you may not appreciate it, but my Rebbe, the Roshiva taught us something about Gadolim. When you know a Gadol, the world will see the Gadol, but those closest to him know his true Godless. And the closer you get to a Gadol, the greater you see him, and the more you get to see his greatness. I'll share with you an interesting story. Rav Chaim would get up every day, Vasikin, he would daven, come home, grab something, and go to Kolol and learn. And then every day, at 1 o'clock, he'd daven Mincha, and he'd come home, about 2.30 he'd come into the apartment. And he'd open his Gemara and wait. When the Rebbeson served lunch, he'd close his Gemara, and he'd eat lunch. If she wasn't ready, if she wasn't there, he would learn and learn and learn. He would never begin eating until she sat down and ate. He would then go back to the kolol <coughs> after Marav come home, and again, same routine. Open the Gemara and wait. <coughs> Rebetzin was ready. They'd eat. If she wasn't ready, if she wasn't there, he wouldn't eat. He would sit there at the table, learning and learning. Twice a day, hopefully over, his son said about him, he would eat together with his Rebetzin because that's my Rebetzin. Now, I want you to appreciate the man was a malachalukim. The man didn't know when he finished eating what he ate but he would never eat a meal without his wife, and he waited. He waited because we're married. That's our marriage. That's what our connection is. I don't eat without my wife. And when you see the greatness of a man, a man who's a world figure of incredible incredible proportions, a Sarah Torah, but you see him up close and personal, you see the connection he had with his own family, with his wife, and the regard that Derek Heretz he had, you see the godless of a person. I think this Rashi shares with us a tremendous concept and that concept is all of the mitzvahs are strengthening to the Nefesh HaSichli, and we're warned to avoid things that strengthen Nefesh Bami because that is the fight in man. The battle in man is for primacy. Which one's going to win out? Is man going to be an angel in the form of flesh, or he's going to be an animal just wearing a human's clothes? Which one he is, which one he's going to be for eternity? And I want to close with one last observation. When computers first came out, I remember very clearly, first with word processors and then the basic computers, there was a very clunky way that you would print something. So for instance, let's say you wanted to underline a certain line. You would type in a open bracket, a U, and a closed bracket. That's what you saw on the screen. And that was assigned to the printer to underline that word. If you wanted to bold a word, you'd put a close, open bracket, and B in a closed bracket. That's what you'd see on the screen. And again, that was a sign to, for the printer to bold the word. Somewhere in the late 80s, technology evolved, and it came out with something called WYSIWYG. <clears throat> WYSIWYG is an acronym for what you see is what you get. So now, when you open up Microsoft Word, you click the B, and that letter on the screen is bolded. If you want to underline the line, you <clears throat> click the U, and what you see on the screen is what you get in the printer. What you see is what you get. I believe that is a very apt acronym for the world to come. See, right now I hide behind these, this cloak of physicality. You don't see me. You don't know who I am. But when my time is done, my body's put in the ground, and I separate and whoosh 
every memory of my life, every action that I did, every thought, every conversation is right there in front of me, part of me for eternity, and I'm bare exactly as I am, with all of my greatness and whatever flaws, all of my accomplishments and all the things that I maybe didn't do. But it's WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And if you think about that moment, you might find it a little bit eye-opening. Because what it means in plain language is, Amit Hashem, many years from now, we'll all meet. And imagine we meet, we all meet, and you see me, and I see you, and you say, Oh, Rabbi Schaefer, wow, I see you accomplished, and you did this, wow, very nice. But Rabbi, I didn't know, oh... You see, we all have those little deep, dark secrets, whether it be a bad midah or jealousy or anger or whatever it might be. We all got that stuff. But here, I hide it very well. You can't see because I wear this heavy cloak of physicality. You can't penetrate it. You don't know what's going on. But when my body's put in the ground, I'm stripped bare. What you see is what you get. Everyone will see me for exactly what I am. And when you understand that, I believe that's one of the most motivating forces empowering forces to grow, to change. Because as long as there's breath in my lungs, as long as there's blood in my veins, I can grow, I can change, I can, <clears throat> I can do tshuva, I can undo the mess. And when you understand that it's me for eternity, and you understand that I can change it, you begin growing, accomplishing, changing, you learn with tremendous zeal because that's the energy. And you work on your midos, and you work on musa because you know that for eternity, I am what I shape myself into. And now I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. It could be on this topic, it could be on any other topic. Please feel free to raise your hand if you're brave. If you'd like to type in your question, I'll take typed in questions. But I much prefer if you're um, brave and you actually um, raise your hand. It makes it easier for me. It makes it a lot more engaging also. Um, I also don't want to forget to mention something. Actually, while you're waiting for questions, I do want to mention something. We have the Schmooze Coaching Course um, for young couples, for Chalson and Colin, new couples. Um, I trained four coaches. We created, you know, the book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. And so I, what I did was I created an entire coaching course. It's a six-week coaching course, and I have four coaches who are trained in. I wrote the curriculum. I trained them. And basically, a young Chalson and Colin or a excuse me, newly married first years, you sign up for the course, and for six weeks, you meet with the coach, and he goes through all the material, exercise, and whatever, and it's a great way to start off a marriage on the right foot. So if you know someone who's a chassan and kala, or if you are know someone newly married who would like to have to engage in this, you can contact me, rebbe at theshmuz.com, R-E-B-B-E at theshmuz, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z dot com, or even better yet, contact Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N at theshmooze.com, uh, either one of us, and we'll direct you to the coach to explain to you what's involved in it. Um, I also would like to take questions now. So let's, um, let me take one question that's actually written in because it's an interesting question. Uh, what type of soul does a Gentile have? They also have intellect and choice, and what happens when a Gentile converts to Judaism? Does their soul change? Okay, very, very important question. So Derech Hashem explains that the neshama, a guy has a neshama, but very, very different from that of a Jew. If a guy keeps Zayim mitzvah b'nei Noach, because Hashem told him to do it, if he keeps the seven mitzvahs because Hashem said to, and then he has a portion in the world to come, but his portion is peripheral to the Jews. The Derech Hashem used an expression of like a beggar to the ish, like a, like a clothing to the person. It's a... I don't know how to use exactly the example, bleacher section, uh, peripheral, but the point is, nowhere near what a Jew is, but it's true. Number one, a guy has an neshama, and therefore he has mitzvahs that will help him in this world, and if he keeps those Zion mitzvahs properly because Hashem commanded him, then he has a portion of the world to come. But, again, that portion of the world to come is nothing like that of a, of a Jew. Now, if a guy decides to convert and he becomes a Jew, he's given a different neshama. Gersh is guy, a ger who converts is like a newborn baby, he's given a new neshama, and that new neshama is identical to that of a Jew, the same empowerment, the same potential. He comes on the Avram Avinu's tree, and he then has the same potential as any other Jew. He has a neshama of a Jew. 
if he remains a guy and he keeps Zion Mitzvahs, Bnei Noach, seven Noahide lords, he has a portion in the world to come, but it's diminutive, peripheral, much smaller. If he actually converts and becomes a Jew, then he's a Jew like any other Jew, and he has the same potential and the same portion in the world to come, depending on what he accomplishes and what he does. Um, okay, Avram Scheinberg, you have a question? You have the floor. Hit it, please. Good evening, Rabbi. Good evening. Good evening, Rabbi. How's Rabbi? Good, good, good. Baruch Hashem. Um, interesting question. Um, I was wondering, I was learning a little bit of the a little bit. I wasn't sure if it's more of a Muna question or a question, but um, even if you understand how Hashem runs the world and he's growing it, I was wondering if Lamaitza does to a certain degree, the world, the life doesn't necessarily get easier. You just understand it better. But if it's the same, but it doesn't make it easier really, because it's like if Francis Vine just have on a roller coaster. And um, I understand that the guy down at the bottom is pressing the button, controlling the whole roller coaster. But if I don't like the roller coaster when it drops down or flips upside down, I can understand that the guy's running it, but I might still not like it. Okay. So, so, was, <laughs> so I have three things to say. <laughs> <laughs> Three things to say. <clears throat> Number one, a life with meaning and purpose is beautiful, meaningful, purposeful. A life without meaning, without purpose is empty, vacuous. If you don't understand life, then life is stupid, dumb, and whatever. There's pain and troubles and worries and issues. Like, who needs this whole thing? <clears throat> when you understand why I'm here, so there's still going to be pains and troubles, but there's meaning, there's purpose. I'm growing, I'm accomplishing. I could change myself, change the people around me. Let's go. There's a love of life because I understand life. So, number one, understanding life gives you that sense of purpose, that sense of empowerment, and the love of life. Number two, when you understand life, you begin making the right choices and not the wrong choices. And I'll give you the simplest example. Smoking cigarettes is dumb. Now, many teenagers start smoking cigarettes, and they get hooked, and they get addicted, and then they suffer. They suffer because the lungs get clogged up and you can't breathe and you can't eat and you don't taste food. It has many health consequences and it's a really dumb thing to do. That teenager would have been a lot wiser not to begin smoking or had he begun to stop at a very young age. But picking up bad habits damages your health. Hashem wants us to enjoy this world. Hashem created us for the world to come. Hashem gave us mitzvahs for the world to come. But Hashem wants us to enjoy this world as well. If you live a Torah lifestyle, you're going to maximize the pleasure and minimize the pain that you're possibly going to have in this world. <clears throat> Even though this world is not the end-all and be-all, it is the prosdor, it is the corridor, but Hashem wants us to enjoy our stay on this planet as well. And if Hashem gave us the mitzvahs as the ideal way to live in this world... You'll have the maximum amount of pleasure, least amount of pain. So, I mean, my life is going to be a walk in the rose garden? No, not necessarily, because there are a lot of nasionas in life and a lot of things you're going to go through and a lot of things you're going to have to suffer through because that allows you to grow, forces you to grow, forces you to transcend. But at the end of the day, if you're living your life right, creating the correct habits and avoiding the wrong habits, what happens is life is pleasant. Life is beautiful. So number one, purpose and meaning gives you an understanding of life. Let's go, I love life. And number two, when you have a very clear understanding, you make the right choices and not the right choices, so you have a better this world as well. And the third part of this is the fact, i got to tell you something. I'm getting on in age. And to be honest with you, the old mare ain't what she used to be. I used to be young, fit, strong, healthy, and I still exercise regularly, but i got to be honest with you. I ain't, I ain't no longer what I used to be. I can't run as fast, can't lift as much, a lot of aches and pains, and whatever. And at the same time, I wouldn't trade my life now for what I used to be, for all the money in the world. Why? Because life now is just so much easier. You get a little bit of wisdom, you get a little bit of understanding, you know how to do things, you know how to talk to people, you know how to count, it's, I don't know what to tell you. It's like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, when you start understanding life and you start understanding how to de- do things, how to deal with people, how to work, life becomes a whole lot more pleasant. So number one, purpose and meaning gives you purpose and meaning in life and it allows you to love life because life has meaning. Otherwise, life is vacuous, empty, and foolish. Number two, when you understand why you're here, you make the right choices, pick up good habits and not bad habits. And number three, after a while, you begin acquiring some wisdom. I don't want to use that word on myself, but begin to understand how to do things, and suddenly life becomes a whole lot easier because you 
you learn how to navigate this thing called life, and yes, you may have aches and pains, but it sure is worth it because life is a whole lot more pleasant. Did I answer the question? So it sounds more that it's um, it's more has to navigate life easier. It doesn't sound like it's more depression. It's more uh, just understanding it better than it is. Yeah. Like, again, like number that. one, when you understand life better, number one, there's meaning and purpose. You understand why you're going through things. So it's like when I run. Right, if I run, it may be painful, but I'm 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 enjoying it because I know what what I'm doing. I'm accomplishing. I'm doing. There's a there's a sense of accomplishment. There's an inner peace, an inner drive. There's a you, you understand life. And number two, you pick up the right habits and not the wrong habits. So Hashem wants us to enjoy this world and not to suffer. So when you do the right things, you create habits and lifestyles that are healthy and allow you to become better and bigger and also enjoy this world to a great extent. And number three, as you acquire wisdom, you start, things start to make sense. You know how to do things and not do things. You're not pulled by every passion, whim, and desire. And suddenly life is a whole lot easier because, because it is. All right, I think that's... No, okay, good. Okay, thanks. Okay, good Shabbos. Okay, feel free to ask any questions if you have. Again, I want to mention, if you have not yet received a copy of The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make, Klaus Hashem is becoming very much a bestseller. It's now pretty close to 9,000 copies. Feldheim is sold, and it's another couple of thousand on the website. Um, I've been receiving way, rave, rave reviews about it. If you'd like a copy of the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, you can go to your local farm store, you can go to Amazon, or you can go to schmooze.com. You go to schmooze.com, you get the audiobook, ebook, as well as the Marriage Transformation Bootcamp as a free bonus. If you go to theshmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, I also want to mention the Schmooze coaching course for Chassan and Kalas and young couples. If you're interested in a six-week Zoom working one-on-one with a coach, you and your, your spouse or you and your Kala, it's a, a very, very good way to begin a marriage. Please reach out to me, Rebbe at theshmooze.com, R-E-B-B-E at theshmooze.com, or Lauren at theshmooze.com, L-A-U-R-E-N at theshmooze.com. I thank you very much for listening, and I hope to see you next week. Have a good Shabbos. Thank you.